Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. This is Light the Fight, and I am back from... I thought for sure you'd be like, aloha! That's why I didn't do that. (laughs) Because you thought that I was. Actually, even though I'm not sick anymore, I still have not got my voice back. I tried to sing a couple funny things the past few days, and my voice cracked like a 13-year-old boy hitting puberty. So I figured I'd save myself the embarrassment and just... Say welcome to Light the Fight. <laughs> well, welcome back, David. We missed you so much last week. Me and Brandon, we just went rogue. That's what I heard. I heard you guys were talking about some crazy stuff that we never talked about on the podcast, like shame. shame and <laughs> yeah, we never talked about that. No, um, I, I have, like I told you guys, well, actually, I, I started listening to the podcast. Yeah, you have to tell the story. This is great. So I'm on the vacation, trying to vacation, but some habits die hard and I'm like, you know, the podcast is out. Let, let me check it out. And uh, I started to listen to it. And right in the very first minute, Heidi's like, Dave's probably trying to listen to this. David, if you're listening to this, put down your headphones and stop listening right now. Go enjoy your vacation. I was like, Roger that. <laughs> <laughs> so I put it down. And, awesome. and my wife's like, what's up? I was like, I was going to listen to the podcast. And of course, my wife, you know, we're on vacation. You know, she wants me to not be on the phone. I didn't want to be on the phone or anything. It's just creature of habit, you know? Yeah. So after that, I started leaving my phone in the in the hotel room. I didn't check any emails. Now, granted, there's a lot of people that weren't happy with me, but it it allowed me to have a vacation. So I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I've heard great things about it. And you guys have told me about what you guys talked about. So thank you so much for not just holding down the fort, but lifting it up as well. So I appreciate well, that. Well, I went back and I listened to it. There was a lot of rambling in the beginning. Like it took me, it took us a minute. It took me a minute to kind of get to the meat, which is just very, the, the, there's some resistance there. Like, anyway, so. So it, this was free therapy for forward, yourself this time. Just fast forward <laughs> the first five minutes or eight minutes or something <laughs> of me just blobbing, and then you get into some good meat. Well, sometimes the, the, the banter and stuff like that is the best parts. I mean, oh, yeah. I, anyway. I, I know I know it makes, puts a smile on my face, so. <laughs> well, Thanks for listening, as always, you guys. Um, I'm happy to be back. Um, I'd be lying if I was saying I was happy to be off the beach and not in the sun and not surfing. It was amazing vacation, amazing trip. Such a good time of year to, like, take a break and go to the sun. Because this is about the time, if you live in Utah, that, like, you start feeling like the mountains are closing in on you and the clouds. And it's it's been... I don't know. Did you hear this? That Brighton Ski Resort. So this is a ski resort that's close by. Hit five hundred inches. I did not hear that. That is forty feet of snow at the top. That's this more is, than a little bit. We're talking about some some record um, yeah. amounts of snow. I got to say, the only I agree with you one hundred percent. But the only thing that because if I'm going to really try to pick apart a Hawaii vacation, because wasn't really a lot to pick apart. The only thing that I hate about going on warm weather vacations during the wintertime, 
So I have this little personal issue. So when I grew up, I grew up on the beach. I grew up surfing all the time. I had a tan. Even during the wintertime, I was still tan <laughs> during the wintertime. I was tan. just really tan during the summertime <laughs> and tan, regular tan during the wintertime. And being part Polynesian, and now I found out if you listen to some of our episodes, I'm actually part Mexican too. Didn't know that till about a year ago. Um, but being Polynesian stuff, I always was just naturally dark. When I go to Hawaii and I go back to California during the wintertime, not only do I get made fun of and weird looks by my family members, I'm sitting there the first four days. I'm like trying. I mean, I'm like <laughs> my heart is like, I got to get my tan back. And here's my biggest, my big complaint. The day I leave is when I'm finally feeling like I'm my normal self. And then I got to get on the plane only to watch it slowly peel off. I told Heidi before we started, cause we have to take for our social media, we have to take more, you know, photos, do a little photo shoot. I'm like, we better hurry up and do this photo shoot before I lose my tan again. Because it's not going to be here longer than four no, more weeks. So I can always please just feel, make you look tan. Feel Dave, bad don't for worry. yeah. Feel bad for David. Like <laughs> let's start a hashtag. Like we did hashtags. Hugs for Heidi's. Like tan for David. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that I you just feel better when you've. I don't know if it's the vitamin D or whatever it is. You just feel better after you've been in the sun. Well, yeah, and also too, you know, if you guys follow us on Instagram, you'll know that it was a vacation, but. My trip was also very, very emotional. Um, my mother passed away, and she's from Laie, the um, uh, town on the North Shore. And so I got to see family when I was there, which was great. My mom was a big part of uh, helping raising money for to create the Polynesian Cultural Center. That A lot uh-huh. of you guys may have heard about that yeah. um, or have gone to the Polynesian Cultural Center. And um, so... I mean, everything there. I mean, there was music, songs. I listened, the first night we got there, I listened to my mom's favorite album by the Beamer Brothers, their Polynesian uh, band from back in the day. And they have the song called Honolulu City Lights. Oh, I sat there on the beach and I just started crying. It was just, so it was really heartwarming. We, we did a little lay ceremony on the beach for my mom with my family. I got to eat her favorite food. She had this list. She's like, Son, I want you to do this, this, and this, this when you go back there. And it was her final request for me. And, and so I actually did every single one of those things. And to do those things on that same day, she wanted me to go to Polynesian Cultural Center and show my kids and, and watch the dancers because all my family has gone to BYU-Hawaii. Or not all of them, lots of them were dancers there. And then you go to school at BYU-Hawaii. And then um, there's this little cake at this little store in Laie called Pake Cake. And it's just basically like a little Chinese uh, tea cookie. And she grew up eating that because that store has been there since like the 1940s. And so she'll eat that. Eat this one thing for me. Go surfing because I love to watch you surfing, son. She had all these requests and I did every single one of them in one day. That was such an emotional day. But I felt her spirit and her love. And I had my kids and my wife with me. It was the most perfect day. And by the way, I went surfing. And I got really good waves, which like I'm horrible with luck for waves. I'm usually like <laughs> sad and crying because I don't get surfed. So it was perfect. I w- oh, yeah. By the way, not only was I surfing, I was surfing with my brother who I met for the very first time. I have a half brother I never met before until this trip. And as I'm surfing, catching beautiful waves at Pipeline, I look over to me and this turtle pops up like two feet away from me and just looks at me. And I look at him like, how, how perfect could this be? My wife and kids are on the beach. My kids are playing in the sand, building sand castles. I'm surfing. A turtle's next to me. I'm catching great waves. My mom's spirit is there. So, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. That's so good. I'll stop there. But I just I just wanted to share that. I mean, it was just it was it was a great time. So That's more bad. than just a vacation, it was very sentimental. So 
thank you guys for uh for holding down and lifting up the fort when I was gone because I needed that. So you were also you made a trip to Studio Five this week. Yes, made a trip to Studio Five, and um, had a great conversation. You know, they're really good at. Um, fortunately for us, uh, a lot of the great people there they listen to podcasts. Yeah. So they'll you know because they like to have professionals on there, all therapists, psychologists, all different types of people, and so you know every couple weeks it's almost been like every month at least. Um, they'll have a topic that they hear on our podcast. And so they heard something, they wanted me to come talk about it and um, purposeful struggle about how to help your kids have, how to help your kids find their life purpose. And, you know, as we talk about here on the podcast, if you've been fortunate enough to, or had the opportunity, I shouldn't say fortunate, that's a little braggadocious, but had the opportunity <laughs> to come to one of our workshops or speak engagements, you hear Heidi and I talk a lot about this thing called purposeful struggle and creating a partnership with your teenagers instead of just a parent child relationship. And so I got to talk about that. And if you want, you can go to KS or you can go to studio five dot studio five dot KSL.com. And they have the whole written article and they have the whole video as well. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, we'll it was just a lot it. of fun. We'll link it on our social media as well. But I think, you know, studio five is actually, I think a great one to follow if you're on Instagram or they're probably on Facebook as well. Um, it's just Studio 5 KSL, at Studio 5 KSL. Um, and you can link to it there. There's a there's a little video of David right there on their Instagram. Um, oh, they, they put that up? Yeah, look at that. They... You're right there. Oh, see I that? didn't You're... even notice it. Oh, yeah, and go look at You see, I'm actually tan there. Look at the You're... other Studio 5 You're videos. Quite... <laughs> I did like four or five other ones. I'm definitely not tan those ones, so that's my proof. That's how I, I'm supposed to look. All the other ones is like my pasty... <laughs> Utah oh, version of me. It's like, oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Well, I, it's, I apologize, you guys. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, and just kind of a plug for Studio 5, um, they have quite a few regular um, professionals that come yeah. on and give parenting advice. Child. Um, relationship. Yeah, a lot of good ones. And um, I find that I learn a lot. Um even from some of the other they professionals pick they pick really good they pick really good topics yeah they all the professionals I've seen them have on there definitely know their stuff and yeah. and have their niche that they're really it's good at it's certainly an honor to go on there I think they do a great job yeah they do and, and Brooke she she's a great interviewer too like she I know, she nails it she's so awesome she makes you feel comfortable and and you know what that's hard like and she does a really good it. job of telling certain family members of hers. Of, to listen to our podcast. <laughs> She's like, okay, so tell them at one family, they really need to listen to your podcast. I'm like, okay, well, I won't say who they are, but <laughs> so there's, so there's are. some conversations before and after, you know, the segments. Yeah. Today. She's a sweetheart. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And, um, did you give a plug for our upcoming event? Let's yes, go. I did give a plug for our upcoming, only one of them. Cause I'm not that smart. I had jet lag when I was on there. I had like two hours of sleep in my defense, but I but did give a tan, plug. It doesn't matter. You don't even look tired when you're I, that's the point. See, no one knew that I was tired with jet lag. Um, but yeah, so I, I did talk about the Harriman event. So another little reminder to all of you out there, if you're here locally, Harriman, March 21st, which is a Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to be doing another Don't Freak Out event. So I know a lot of you weren't able to come to our last one at Corner Canyons High School. But if you missed it or if you just want to come back and, and have another opportunity, um, we're going to be doing it again. And I, I, Heidi, how excited are you about being able to do another one? I, I thought that was such... We're just we're we're starting to figure it out because we've been doing this type of event. We used to call it a first responder event. We just it takes a little while to kind of really get down to the nitty gritty nuts and bolts. Yeah, well, and talk about an honor. I feel very honored to 
that the folks at Harriman High who um, there's new administration there this year and um, they've been you know getting getting some footing um, and I think that it's awesome that we get this opportunity in fact um, Quincy my oldest daughter's a senior at Harriman and I guess that it came on their their news they have like a news channel that comes on in the t- and and it so each classroom has like a, te- a monitor or vision television or something that they see and she's like I guess that don't freak out came up and it said our names and she, Quincy's like at all the same time every single person in her class turned around and looked at her and she was just like hi <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh so, sorry yeah, that's my mom it's my mom <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway it's really cool so that's coming up and um Man, we got to... April 4th and 5th, too. April 4th and 5th. And I talked about this last week, that our plan is to kind of do a community event and then create an opportunity for a workshop to follow up. So the first week of April, first week of May, um, we're doing parenting workshops. So you can jump on lightthefight.com if you want to come and get a little bit more information. Yeah, the parenting workshop, just in full disclosure, those are, you know, how we're able to make money at Light the Fight. So it's a day and a half workshop, and we do charge for that. From the podcast, the community events, those are all free. So it is an investment. But from the response that we've gotten from everyone that's come, it's worth the investment. So in a little personal you know, advertisement, I think it's definitely worth, worth the investment. So hopefully you'll give it a shot and yeah. come out. And if you don't like it, I will reimburse you fully for half your money. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we don't give any money back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so just to kind of like swing to the the next thing that I kind of wanted to plug, and I don't know if it's really a plug because it's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, so several months ago, David started kind of talking about this little project that he had in mind of creating a podcast that was teenagers talking. And, you know, I think like everything, it's it's always like a little bit harder than you think. It's going to take a little bit longer. Like if you've ever renovated a house, double up how long you think it's going to take and then add six months. <laughs> um, but Still Trippin' is the name of the podcast. We've kind of talked about that. And, you know, I've kind of been listening to this, kind of watching, kind of seeing what was going to happen, um, wondering what these teenagers were going to say wanting to be one of those lurking. And so I've listened to all the podcasts and props, first of all, props to these teenagers. Because I will kid you not, every time we drive away from recording this podcast, I'm texting Brandon like, I think we should delete that one. <laughs> let's, let's just let's just push delete on that entire episode because you kind of feel like... For the first six months, Brandon had to say, no, I'm not giving you access to my computer. You're not allowed to delete the episode. After six months, she's like, do you think we should delete it? (laughs) First six months is like, we have to. I still kind of just... Because once you say these things, even though you're in the moment, you're sharing, it's very raw and vulnerable, right? We don't edit our podcast at all. The only thing we try to do is make the sound a little bit better sometimes, but we don't edit, we don't cut anything out. So it's So it's just so brave and and it's it's hard right so the reason why i wanted to bring this up is because um the episode one of the most recent episodes i don't know what number it is it is the most recent episode most recent yeah, the next tripping. one's going to come out on thursday but our last episode was 
So it's called September. And um, in full disclosure, September is Eric's cousin's daughter. (laughs) I don't really know what that makes it to me, but um, but she's family. She's like a niece to me in in a way. And um, your aunt Heidi, basically. Yeah, Yeah. I am. I'm aunt Heidi. And September and Quincy are the same age. And um, so September's father and my husband, Eric, are cousins. They're fathers, siblings. And a lot of the things <laughs> that have kind of been perpetuated and were deep taught, that were taught, modeled, functional or non-functional, in those families um, has, <laughs> I think that the cycle, I'm going to tell you that I think that the cycle is being broken. Um, and man, it was powerful. So, so still tripping um, is an extension of David's nonprofit that's called Quit Trippin'. And September started coming to group probably a year ago, a little more than a year ago. And um, I'll remember that September's mom, my (laughs) cousin-in-law, something twice removed. I don't know what we are. Um, I was on a trip. I'll never forget because I was in Bali. And I get this phone call. I get a text, you know, I need to talk. Can you talk? And you know when you get those texts, you're like, yeah, uh, you know, doesn't matter where I am. And um, I could feel the pain, the fear, the worry, the concern, the freakity, freaktastic, freakalicious, freak magnanimous thing that was happening. And I was like, calm <gasps> down, you know, but she couldn't calm down. Like it, like, and you couldn't blame her. No, I couldn't. I couldn't blame her. And um, I was a million miles away. And um, and then the desperate, David, you have to, you have to. No, I, I believe it was. Hey, I know you're not seeing your clients, but I told my cousin. <laughs> um. Anyway, for me, and um, and we're gonna talk about it a little bit. If you haven't listened, first of all. If you haven't listened to the episode, there's probably going to be some spoiler alerts as we as we talk about this, but and that's okay because I think it will still be impactful. Yeah, still go after you listen to this and go to the episode on the Still Tripping podcast. But knowing where September was, where um, her parents were, and knowing where they are now, which is I would say 16 months, 18 months of since we had that first phone call, but but longer that like. Real fearful trouble was brewing. Um, loss of respect, loss of trust. You know, just just all that. And to say the word teenage angst is just not <laughs> not even coming close to what September was feeling. And and so, um, the reason why I bring this up here is because. September talked about something that David has alluded to and he's foreshadowed about. And we talk about as if um, 
everybody understands it, but it's actually a difficult concept to understand. And so basically, um, September was to the point, and, and she admits it herself, bravely admits that she was using alcohol and drugs. She was using um, nicotine vape and other forms of just ways to dull the pain and the frustration and the um, loss of connection, the lack of belonging, all these things that she was feeling, um, really impressed of her ability to articulate what she felt and her um, openness about it. And fundamentally, you're dealing with uh, parents that are freaking out. And she talks about in the podcast that, you know, she got to the point where she could drive. And in order for her parents to feel good enough about letting her drive, they put three cameras in the car. Two that were showing what was going on in the car and one that was like pointed out at the road or something like that. Like she's talking about this and I was like, dang, I didn't even get that that good, man. I wasn't even in that close. Or like, I didn't even think of that. Was, <laughs> I didn't where know you could was do I, that. right? That's impossible. Is there a package? Yeah. Google that? GoPro. <laughs> um, and so she talks about this concept that you that we talk about a lot that you teach and what you call it and I think is a parent child partnership and like you know we've talked about this a lot we talk about that there's shaming out here on one end that there's coddling on the other end of the spectrum and right in the middle is partnering and <coughs> from my perspective sometimes when we talk about partnering the resistance that comes up, like my shields that come up say, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be a partner with my child. I'm the mother, they're the child. This is two different levels. And um, the other thing that September talks about is going from extreme distrust and lack of connection with both of her parents. Not a lack of love. Probably a lack of like. To where she is now feeling like her parents are her closest friends. Which is another thing that parents are like, well, we're, there, we're not supposed to be friends with our kids. We're supposed to be their parents. And there's a difference. And, and so I kind of want you to sort of, um, I guess it's a spoiler alert, but also give the parents on this end kind of your foundation so that when they go and listen to to September talk about this that they can really use this as a tool and see how it works. Yeah, the first most important thing is that I I need to debunk that you shouldn't have a desire as a goal to be close friends with your child at any age. Um I I don't know But do where you know what I, I mean? No, like no, that's I, been told no, for years like yeah. you can't be their friend. Well, that, that's what I was getting to is that I don't know where it all started. I don't know where this philosophy came from. But I can tell you um, how it's it's been misinterpreted and also how it can be very damaging. 
So what I'm referring to is, um, you know, and I heard this lots of times growing up, and I've heard it from plenty of parents throughout the years that, you know, you can't be your child's friend. You shouldn't be your child's friend. And if you're a child's friend, then you'll get taken advantage of, you'll get manipulated. And what most people, and this is just what I interpret, what most people are saying from that, they're, they're taking the word friend and they're comparing that to most people have seen, or a lot of times people have seen or heard about parents that would actually act like a teenager with their child. Right. They would drink with them. They'd smoke with them. They would try living, so like hard. Like vicariously living. They, so I, I think where it probably comes from is some parents, out of desperation to have a relationship with their kid, they would try and befriend their child in hopes that if they were just like a cool friend and, and allowed their their child to do whatever they want to do or allowed their teenager to do whatever they want to do, then by doing that, they could have some sort of a relationship with them. And so usually what happens is one of the two parents will try to be the friend, try to be cool, hang out, and let their teenager get away with whatever, and then the other parent goes the opposite extreme. Or it doesn't matter who starts it, but there's usually the two extremes there. And so it became this thing, I think, for many years where it was seen like the word friend meant that you were um, you were being coerced, you were being manipulated, and you were able to be manipulated because you're trying to be on their level. And so because of that, you could not parent. It actually handicapped you from parenting. Or you were letting down your standards. Yeah, yeah. So instead of instead of trying to debate with people throughout the years by telling them that you should be their child's friend, I would just put it this way. People like to be around people that they have a good relationship with. A lot of times when you have a job, you'll become friends with someone who you would normally never hang out with in your normal social groups. I remember in a lot of my jobs, I'd become friends with people who were twice my age. They were old enough to be my parents. But the reason why we became friends is because we were partnered together on a task, on some sort of job responsibility that had to get done. And so I remember this one uh, Latino lady I worked with a long time ago. She was, she could have been like, I don't know if she could be my grandmother, but definitely my mother, right? Older than my mother's age. And she and I were working with these at-risk teens together. She and I became such close friends. She invited me over to their family gatherings and never in my wild, mild, wildest imaginations would I ever go hang out with a woman that's twice my age, old enough to be my mother and her family and her kids. But because we were in a job together, in a difficult circumstances, we worked together. I trusted her. She trusted me. She was my friend. That is the definition of a friend. There's an equal plane that you're working from. Now, her role as a mother and she had grandkids, we weren't at the same stages in our life, but we were friends. So the way I describe it to parents is that if you have a trusting relationship with your teenager and they have a trusting relationship with you, it doesn't mean that you give them everything they want or it doesn't mean that they do everything that you want them to do. What it means is that there is a working partnership on something together. So instead of this person being solely your parent, why can't, and I tell parents this, instead of your teenager being solely your kid, why can't your teenager be your kid and you guys have a working friendship and partnership at the same time? I tell you what, once I phrase it like that to parents, 
there's not a parent that doesn't go, well, that would be a great and ideal. I just don't. Then they go, I don't see that could ever happen. I go, aha. Doesn't mean you don't want it. It doesn't mean that sounds like it's not healthy. It just means you doubt that could happen because you haven't experienced it. So what September was trying to illustrate was that when she, in, you know, not too many spoiler alerts, but she had something recently happen that she was trying really hard for something. I'll let you go listen to the podcast. It didn't work out. She was heartbroken. She was devastated. She said, over a year ago or a year ago, I would have went, smoked, drank. I've been horribly angry, sad, and depressed, and mad. She goes, but now, first thing I did was I called my mom. I went home, and I cried to her, and she held me, and we talked about it, and it made me feel 100 times better. So in her mind, she's like, my mom is my closest confidant, a.k.a. my mom is my best friend. So she sees her as she is my mother. She gave birth to me. She raised me. I have to respect her like a mom. And she's my best friend. Now let's put this into perspective. How many of you out there, if you don't have this, well, hopefully you have this. If you don't have this, you've wanted this. As an adult woman, you have kids. Let's say you're married. You're, you're, you know, you're in that stage of your life. If your mom is helping you figure out how to rear a child, how to make certain meals and cook certain things, and she's by you, babysitting, helping you, she's working as a partnership, how many people out there would call their mom their best friend? Go to lunch with them, hang out with them. So the way I see it is that if that can happen later on in life, why can't it happen earlier? So no one, see, no one would ever see that friendship as bad. But for some reason, as teenagers, we can misinterpret that a friendship is bad at that time in life when it's just different. You are her mom, and you can be her best friend in many ways, just not in all the ways. You know, your daughter may not tell you everything. Now, the funny thing about September story is she was joking around. She's like, now I say things to my mom. My mom's like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> she was like, mom, I just feel like I can tell you everything. <laughs> but what an honor is that? Even if you're not the parent of a teenager. If you're a coach, a teacher, if teenagers trust you and they come to you and share tons of personal information, like you're a peer, oh, give yourself a ribbon or a trophy or a prize right. because that's a big deal. That means there is a connection that goes beyond age and it's more about trust and understanding. So th th and that's what I, that's I want good, to take a I think that's to. a good clarification because I think that Right there, which is which is a real crux of what we're talking about here and having relationships at, at Light the Fight, that is a real distinction and a difference between what it was like probably for us when we were young and what we're kind of striving for and fixes some of our problems now. So so I think that that's great. I think you clarified. Yeah, I, I had a friend that his mom used to buy alcohol for the teenage boys. And have, them drink, she was and cool. have them drink it at her house. Yeah. And so that's, I think, what people, a knowing mistake, like what could happen if you're their child's friend, you're going to get taken advantage of. That's not what we're talking about. And in the podcast, I mean, to see, and well, to hear, not to see, but to hear September's story, that's why you really just need to go check it out. To hear her story, what had happened to where it is now, it should give you some encouragement, hope. But not only that, at the very end, we answered questions. So, um, we do these little contests where I'll have teenagers send in questions or do certain things, and then we give away stance socks because, you know, who doesn't like stance socks, right? Right. And so they, we took in a bunch of questions. I had September ask, answer the questions. So instead of me, David, the counselor answering the questions, at the end of our episodes, I'll have my guests, these teenagers, you guys, no joke, it will blow your mind. 
to listen to that young, and this girl's in high school still, and the advice that she was giving to young people, I I don't know, Heidi, what, what did you think? I thought it was fantastic. Again, you know, the reason why she could answer those questions is because she's living it. Oh, she's yeah. living. She tried all the it different wasn't other 10 options. Years ago, you know, she is she's in the sauce. And she, you know, she admits she's not perfect. She she admits she's going to you know, whatever, mess up or she's still learning, but She's very much a teenager still. Yeah. She's not trying to pretend sainthood or something like that. Yeah. So, but she has I don't know. Her advice um, just melted my heart. You know what? Her her main advice, like it would it would be like in every question, it kept on coming up. Every question, the answer was tell your tell your parents, go to your parents, and <clears throat> give your parents reps and practice. I think I think what I want all of you listeners, myself included to remember every single day is that our kids, no matter what they're behaving like or acting like or portraying, there's nothing that they want more than to be loved and accepted by you. And it's really hard to believe that when they're being a freaking jerk and making stupid choices and doing everything the exact opposite of what you've ever told them to do and it's hard for them to believe that they could trust you when you're stabbing balls. Right. They hate that. The kids <laughs> I'm sorry. Hate I, I, I haven't been around for a while, so I haven't been able to stab that. But think about it. It's, and we talked about in the podcast. It's, it's a two-way street. It's true. They're looking at their parent going, I can't trust you. I want to because how can you get your parents' acceptance if they don't know everything about you? I hear teenagers tell me very often that their friends just know them better than their parents. Yeah, their parents may have given birth to them. They may have raised them but they don't know them at that particular moment in their life. And teenagers don't want to hold that from their parents. They don't want to keep that. They, Like Heidi said, they want to please you and make you happy. There has to be the space to do that and know. So I, I want, like I think, and I, I know that September's mom feels this way and I feel this way um, just knowing their, their story. Like it's amazing that, that they're in this place that they are. And so I want those of you listening that may be struggling with a, with a child that you just are struggling to get a connection with. And, and yes, you want it. I want, I want you to know that it's possible. It, it really is possible. And it requires a change in you. Because you can't force your child to make a change. And um, so I want you to just talk, you know, a little bit. Prepare them for what they're going to hear about. What is this parent-child agreement? Yeah, so um, just small little difference, but I call it the parent-teen partnership agreement. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, (laughs) I mean, it could be parent-child, whatever, but, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know. Here it is. Trying to brand this right now. He's yeah. gonna he's gonna talk about the parent teen partnership right? agreement. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, I can't do it. I give up. So so basically, what this is, <laughs> and and again, please listen to the podcast because September breaks it down and explains it because this is something that you know her mom had come and listened to us talk, and there there'd been a lot of things that had gone behind this where 
I had to help them in different ways to to get to get to this point. And so everything everything has to fail in order for you to get to this point. Put it this way: my information is only useful if you've tried everything else and it didn't work. Uh, That is no truer words have been spoken on this podcast. It was just my specialty. I I was. When I say trained, all my experience came from really bad situations. I was working in crisis treatment homes. Yeah. I was working in just the the most broken families and, and just drama where the cookie cutter, paste, copy and paste type of parenting suggestion with kids just didn't work. It didn't work because their, their situations were so emotionally charged and sometimes there was abuse and sometimes there was just such bad situations like we needed some street counseling right like some like on the job like you don't have time to read a book type of counseling right so um basically what the parent teen partnership agreement it's a hybrid of something that was a counseling tool i learned a a long time ago called a contingency agreement so contingencies agreements were really i believe if i'm going back on the history on it it is borrowed from the business world so in a contingency agreement is Two people, just like a business agreement, will go into a business partnership. And think about this for those of you who have owned a business or worked in a business. You have two people. Let's say one person has all the money and all the power. But then this other person is entering in the partnership, and this person actually has the ability to make the business work. Maybe they're the person. Let's use an example of a clothing company, right? So there's a person that's been working in retail and selling clothing for many, many years. As a, you know, they swept the floors, they were assistant manager, manager, ran the stores, they, they know the ins and outs, how to run the books and everything. And then you have a person over here, the other partner, who has the capital, aka the money, and the financial backing to start a clothing company. Well, both are needed to make this successful. Like, the one person's skills of running the company is needed, and the money and the backing is needed over here. So then they form into, they get into what's called a contingency agreement. And in a contingency agreement, what happens is they both agree to do their own function. And the other says, I will give you money to run the store contingent upon you do X, Y, and Z. And that produces a return on the investment. And then I'll keep on investing as long as I see that you keep on working. And the person who's working is saying, well, I'll keep on working as long as you follow through. It's like, if I meet these expectations and I sell this product and make these clothes and you don't give me more money to get to the next level, well, then I'm not going to want to be your partner anymore. And the person with the money says, if I'm giving you money and you're not performing on your end, well, I'm not going to want to be your partner anymore. So you can see in these situations how vital it is for both people to play, to to actually uh, function or to actually... um, uh, execute on their role. That's the basis of a contingency agreement. Okay, so now we take that same concept and we bring that into a parent-teenage agreement. Now, when I first started doing this with people and I started figuring this out, I mean, this is no joke. Been in the work for twenty years, so I had to figure out how to make this as simple as possible, while at the same time make it easily understandable and people could actually function and execute on these things. So. The hardest thing that I had to do with parents was convince them that their relationship with their teenagers should be seen as an actual business partnership. And I'd get some smart out comments. Parents like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, well, I pay for everything, blah, 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 you know, this, and that, and the other. And, and they would give me a little pushback, not always, but sometimes. But usually the complaints were, well, how's this partnership? 
you know, it's like when I was growing up, like <laughs> I was just told what to do. And I just sat there and I said, in total honesty, looking back at your at the way you're raised, I know your parents had a lot of great things about what they taught you these lessons. Because now that you're an adult, you look back and say, those were all valuable lessons. But think back when you're a teenager. Did they teach you how to have a voice? Did they allow your opinions and your, did they allow you to influence them? Did they sit there and say, I want to be a better parent and you can help me be a better parent and I want to learn more about the world that we're living in? Or did they want to do things their way and it was your job to make sure that you, conf uh, that, that you conformed to their style? Well, what do you think most people said? There wasn't a lot of negotiation in the old school parenting styles. You did what you're told. Kids should be seen and not heard. Like there are some pretty harsh things. So most parents understood that the old school, the old ways of parenting needed to evolve. And if we want our kids to have self-confidence, if we want them to be well-spoken, if we want them to be able to go out into the workforce and to be able to work hard and do these things, then why don't we help train them and build them up now? And in our workshops, we talk about this a lot. We talk about if you have a family business, and you really should look at your family as a business because there's money going in and out. If you don't keep track of it, there may not be a roof over that business. Okay, There may not be food on the table. But what kind of business do you want? Do you want a business that your kids will want to work their ways up the ranks and will eventually want to take over the family business, meaning take on the family's name and achieve all the things that you can achieve? Or do you want to have a, fan, a business where you only treat your kids like employees, they don't want to take over the business, and they leave, and they want nothing to do with the family business? You know, most people are going to say they want their kids to come up through the family business and eventually take it over. So the mindset is really you got to have the mindset of creating a family business that your kids feel like they have ownership in, can work their ways up through the management, and that someday they're going to want to actually take over. So you can't treat your, you can't look at your kids and say, how do I make them better, more obedient employees? Instead, how do I make them invest in the family business? Well, the, the parent-teen partnership agreement is a very vital part to doing that. And it'd be too hard because there's going to be a lot of questions that come in this because I usually do this one-on-one. -on -one. Well, because it has to be, it kind of has to be. It's tailored to every family. Right, customized. But I, but I can give you the basic concept. I can give you the basic workings of it. You pick three things that you want your kids to do. And it can't three be their hair. Yeah. Right? Well, I was told initially. Okay. Don't well, talk about hair. <laughs> well, there's a couple, there's a couple things that I, I'll, how I usually do this in counseling is I'll have the parents come up with three things because parents will usually tell me, I'll say, Hey, what are the things if your kid did this, they would earn your trust or they'd earn your respect, trust, and freedom. By, by the way, little side note, there's three basic things that all teenagers need to successfully launch into adulthood. And there's three basic things that all teen, that all parents need to instill with their kids in order to build a partnership agreement or a partnership type mentality. First one, I tell teenagers, your parents need to respect many of your choices and a lot of the things that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis in life. So if they see you going to school, if they see you working hard, apologizing, holding yourself accountable, those types of things earn your parents' respect. If you do those things consistently enough, then you can get number two, which is trust. If your parents respect what you're doing, then they're going to start to consider trusting, giving you more opportunities to influence them. 
Then step number three, if they start to trust you for long enough, then comes the sweetest one of all. Starts with an F and ends with a readem. Okay, freedom. Okay. So, respect what you're doing equals them starting to trust you, then equals them giving you freedom. Now, all parents, when I tell them, so yes, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to res- I want my kids to do things that I can respect. Then I want to give them my trust, and then I want to give them more freedom because logically we know that's the only way they're going to successfully launch into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So what the parenting agreement is, I say, you can have a list. They'll give me like 20, 30 things that they want their kid to do. But just like a job, you want perfect employees, but if you require perfection out of all your employees, you're not going to have a lot of employees. So you give them a job description. Here's the basic things you do. If you come to work on time, if you do these tasks, I will pay you at the end of every two weeks. Now, if you do above that, now you could earn management. You could earn a pay raise, right? But just the basic job expectations, you meet those and we're good, okay? So what the agreement is, instead of taking all the things you want your teenager to do, you pick three things as a starting point. It's just a baseline, right? Just a foundation. Usually those three things are these three categories. School-related, so it's school performance. It could be going to school on time, so meaning tardies, you know, like... Showing up to class. Yeah, showing up to class and not sloughing or ditching classes and turning in homework. Now, that's one category, school performance. I'll get back to that in a second. Second one can be some sort of home performance, chores. And then the third one is coming home when expected to come home, turning your phone when you're expected to turn your phone... Um, you know, asking to, to use the car and bring it back when you're supposed to use it, depending on their age. So social time with friends, home chores, work responsibilities, and schoolwork. Those are the three categories that I usually have people choose from. But in every single one of those categories, there has to be a little of allowance for opportunities to make some fails and to turn it back around. So what I do is, if the parent says, okay, I want my child to not be tardy at school, and I want my child to turn have no missing assignments. I want my child to have this amount of GPA, like this high grades, and I want them to never slough their classes. I said, okay, that's great. Those are all things you want. But let's give them something to work with. So this is what typically happens. Every single week, if I meet with the child on Monday or on, on every Friday, then on Friday, I look at their grades Okay, online, they have this thing called Skyward here. Other, other school districts have it. You just look online. And when it shows their grades, it'll show how many tardies they have, how many absences they have, excuse or unexcused, how many missing assignments they have. I tell the parents, let's leave the GPA for the end of the quarter. Because at the end of the day, GPA can go up and down, but at the end of the quarter, that's what gets left on, on their records, right? So we set ahead of time. Let's say the parent says, I want my kid to have a 2.5 GPA. I said, okay, well, at the end of the quarter, if they get a 2.5 GPA, then they start off the next quarter with the ability to negotiate for a little bit more freedom in the next quarter. But right now, that's just what's expected. So at the end of each week, from Friday to Friday, instead of saying they're not allowed to have any tardies, they're allowed to have three tardies. But after the third tardy, that counts as them missing a full class, unexcused. Then they're not allowed to have any sloughing or ditching classes. So if they ditch class once, or if they have more than three tardies, then that equals they go without a privilege 
or some sort of freedom the next week for one day per each one of those offenses. So let's say they skip a class on Tuesday. They're tardy on three classes on Monday. Typical parenting says, okay, the school calls you on Monday. You're in trouble. I'm taking your phone. I say, no, 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 no. Not according to a partnership agreement because a partnership agreement is trying to get them ready for real life. And if you're late to work in real life two or three times a week, they don't dock your pay the first time. You get written up. A paper trail slowly starts to build against you. Okay? Nobody gets fired after you've gone through six weeks of training because you're, at, because you're 15 minutes late for the first time at work. Right? It has to build for a little while. Then with the sloughing the class, if that happens on a Tuesday and the three tardies happen on a Monday and the sloughing class happens on Tuesday, but every Friday is when we check in. So instead of saying, I'm taking your phone, you can't use the car on Monday and Tuesday, you just write down that that's what happened, comes to Friday, then you say, per our agreement, now this next week, you have to pick the thing that you're going to go without. So this is what the kids do. They pick three things. Well, there's three things. Usually it's a phone, going out with their car, or missing their phone for a day, their car for a day, or not being able to hang out with their friends for a day. All these are 24 hours. So per the agreement, those three absences, or those three tardies, would equal one day of missing something. I didn't mean to say more than three. Three is the number. The one sloughing class equals another one. So now per the agreement, there's two full days that they have to pick either going without their car for two days or maybe without their phone for one day, without their car for another day. And on Friday, they have to do it sometime within the next couple days, like over the weekend. Now the kids are sitting here, gosh, well, I, 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 I have my friends and I'm supposed to pick them up on Friday. It's okay. It's your choice. Well, then they have to determine when I'll have to go without my phone. Well, it's such an inconvenience because how am I supposed to communicate with them? The parent just sits there and says, hey, listen, that's totally up to you. We could go back, and this is why the teenager always takes this agreement. The parent and myself always say, you can go back to your parents taking your phone away and saying they'll give it back to you whenever they feel like it, or you can have the reassurance that it's only for two days and you get to pick what you go without. So the beauty about this is that they get to be partners with their own consequences, but they're giving choices so they don't feel like the consequences are so personal. Because if the parent says, or oh, emotional. Yeah. Or, or emotional. Because if a parent says, <clears throat> out of anger, you were planning to go to your best friend's birthday party. Well, guess what? Now you can't go. The teenager's like, like, I had to miss that class. My, my best friend was sad because her boyfriend broke up with her. And, and I had to be there for her. So in her mind, she feels this is unjust. And now she's being punished for her being a good friend. The way this agreement says, you get to pick. You can still go to the party, but you're not driving there or you're not taking your phone for 24 hours. And so a lot of parents say, well, that's not fair because it's not harsh enough. I said, well, then if it happens two weeks in a row, every week it doubles. So the second week, if they're tardy, if they slough a class, now for each offense, it's two days without something. The third week, it's three days for every offense. So what happens, it's a staggering effect. They slowly give themselves more consequences or they have to choose more things to go without or they slowly get back the opportunity to earn trust from their parents. So it also goes the opposite way. If they go three weeks without having any offensive 
any offenses in those categories, then the teenager has some negotiating power. If they go a full quarter, like a full school quarter, then teenagers can come to the table saying, hey, you know my curfew that's 11 o'clock? I, I've done this for quite a while. I'd like it to be 11.30. Even if the parents before would have said, I would never give them an extra curfew. If you see your kid progressing and you're not having to micromanage them and they're working hard, what would you do as an, as an employer for an employee that always comes to work on time? You never have to worry about them. You give them the keys to the company. You let them open the doors and close up themselves. It's just a natural progression. Respect, trust equals more freedom. Parents do this naturally, but in a fight situation, in this confrontational situation, parents can't even imagine giving their kids more freedom. I said, because you don't trust them. But in fairness, your teenagers don't trust that you're not going to freak out either. So let's work this through some different weeks. Now, I was using school as the example. The chores, the same thing. Here's the key to school chores and coming home on time. They're all measurable. See, when parents say, you can't have the certain color in your hair, or you can't use the car unless you go to church, problem with those things is they're not really measurable. Like, it's really hard to measure certain things that are more opinions and more wants that you want for your kid. Now, for school, for coming home from curfew, from chores, oh, those are easy to have a chore list. Those are easy to tell when they show up. Those are easy to say if they went to school, if they didn't go to school. So these things are easily measurable. The pushback they get from a lot of parents is they're so angry and frustrated, they've lost control that they feel like to gain control, they have to tighten up control. Right. But in any partnership, that never works. You're producing, you want more obedient employees. You're not trying to train managers. And that's how we have to shift this mindset to we need someone to want to take care of us and change our diapers when we're 75 years old <laughs> instead of someone so pissed off at us because they we didn't give them freedom when they're younger. And I'm not exaggerating. That happens. Yeah. When I used to work for Adult Protective Services, I used to do the overnight calls, people calling and reporting um, uh, elderly abuse. The majority of the time, it was their own kids and family members that were abusing them. It was resentment that had left, that had stayed with them for years of a lifetime. They never learned how to work with each other. So this is this is fortifying relationships. It's not just for your kids' teenage years. It's for long life influence because there's going to be a day that you're going to be childlike in your need for someone to take care of you. And there's going to be a lot more reason for your kids want to partner with you later on in life if you partner with them earlier in their life. So <clears throat> as you go and listen to September talk, I keep kind of that in mind, that, um, that, that groundwork that has been laid. It's interesting because September will say that she made the conscious choice not to go to school one day because she just, she, she was even dealing with anxiety or whatever. And she's like, you know, I knew that, fine, I'll give up my car. <clears throat> I can still do this and this. And so she knew exactly what, um, what the outcome was going to be. That was her be. reassurance. Right. That, kept, that made her feel safe and so to she, know that she wasn't going to have her phone taken away for, for three or four or five weeks. But it was a choice versus her doing it because she didn't even want to hang out at home. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was just trying to illustrate yeah. the point you're making. It was like, okay, just like how we go, all right, if we don't go to work today, we know we're not getting paid. Not too many people pay you for not going to work. 
But if we as adults can say, you know what? My kids need me. My kid got expelled from school, whatever. I have to go take care of this. I'm willing to make the choice to go without the money because this is more important. Then if we give our kids that opportunity, is that not independent living? That's teaching them how to make decisions. And if they make the wrong decision and they're like, wow, my friend didn't even need that much help and I end up failing a test, note to self, I might want to rethink that next time I'm in that situation. So so here's the thing. September talks about mental health struggles and and having anxiety, depression, struggling, being being the kid that um is eating lunch alone. Like so she's she's talking about some pretty serious issues. She talks about gravitating towards friends that aren't making great choices and she talks about getting involved in, you know, some um alcohol and vape and whatever else. And she said that she was doing that to dull things to as a coping mechanism. And um it's interesting to me that you didn't say one of the three things that that they have to do. One of them isn't you can't vape. Probably because like you said, it might not be measurable. Right? There there's not And they will argue to the cows come home if you say I smelt it on you. No, you didn't. Okay, now you're just going to fight back and forth. Right. It's not measurable. So so here's what's happened, though. By the is, way, a little side note. With all these parents, it's not like I'm telling them that they should allow their kids to vape. There are certain family rules that, hey, listen, if you vape and you take and you go for that and you get caught, well, then here's just a guaranteed, you lose your car for a week, you do this. That's a side of the agreement. But they're giving you the benefit of the doubt that they're not. The parents aren't trying to control you by saying, "Okay, on the agreement, you have to promise not to vape." And if you vape, that it's not part of the agreement. It's like, listen, we're doing an agreement, but our family rule is, you don't vape. And if you get caught vaping, you lose it, you don't get it back, and on top of it, you lose the car for one week. So they know ahead of time, basically like the law. Imagine if we didn't know our punishment for all the different crimes or misdeeds out there. If if someone thought, hey, if I s- steal a pack of gum at 7-Eleven, I could get my hand chopped off or I could just get a $200 ticket, that'd be really confusing. So just like the law, we need to know, like, you know, you drive in the carpool lane. It'll say $375 fine. <laughs> like, right. It'll tell you, like, what your fine is. So some people, like, it's worth it. I'm late and they go for it. They get caught. They took a shot. They got caught. So if our teenagers know that there's very specific outcomes for their actions, they get to hold themselves accountable for actions. It's so difficult for a teenager to know how to make the right choices if they don't know what our reaction is going to be to those choices. That's why we give them reassurance that there is a set standard of what to expect based upon what they do. And we can't break it. So when parents come in and they say, well, I know the agreement said this, but I was just fed up with this. And I told her, you know, her phone was taken for two weeks. I said, okay, so you're basically breaking the agreement. Your teenager isn't breaking the agreement. This mom said, yes, she did. She actually, you know, she vaped. I said, or no, she didn't vape. She didn't go to school. And I know she was doing this and that and the other. Mom didn't know that. She just assumed that. I said, okay. So she didn't break the agreement. Per the agreement, if she doesn't go to school, she has to go without her car, cell phone for one day. She goes, that's not enough. I said, mom, do you realize what you're doing? You're trying to have influence over your daughter. Your daughter has been doing all these things for multiple weeks. 
And the one time she slips up, you wanna you wanna like sentence her to like a whore, like like something that wasn't even part of the agreement. Well, the mom eventually confessed that she is frustrated because she was doing so well. She was I was bragging to my friends how great my daughter right. was doing, and when she failed, it was personal to me. I said that's why we have contracts and agreements so that our emotions don't determine the outcomes. Just like in business agreements, if a business partner is mad at the other business partner, but there's a legal binding contract that if they were to break it, now they could get sued, it keeps a lot of people from losing their temper and control and cursing out their partners because they don't want to get sued. There has to be something hanging overhead that we all have to be accountable for. So if we want to teach our children to have accountability, we have to model it for them. We need to have some sort of agreement in place, and this is just the hybrid of that uh, contingency agreement that I've just kind of worked through out all these years. And September is an amazing example of how that can work out in a positive way. So I, you know, I guess as I listen to that, obviously there's there was some personal um, comfort in me. Um, I'm thankful that that she's in the place that there's been progress, that there's been learning. And, um, you know, her mom also admitted and said, you know, this is really helping us with our other kids as well, other relationships, you know. And um, we've changed in the way that we're responding. Um, and I guess, I, I guess to me, <coughs> you know, we sit here in this podcast and we kind of talk about our perspectives and we tell stories um, but this is just a really cool way to see um, from that other perspective exactly how, how this can work and how what what the goal is, which is really to turn around now. And this girl's testimony. I don't She's really a teenager. I don't know where September is on um, you know behaving exactly how her parents want her to behave, and I'm sure that she's still going to have, there's still going to be headbutting, there's still going to be problems. And I think that that's expected. But what does exist is this relationship that can ke- then keep going back to. So it's their anchor, really. I think it's definitely worth a listen. I think it's worth even inviting your, your kids to listen to on their own time, either with you or without you. It's just really an interesting way to say, hey, do you think something like this would work for us, you know, would you be willing to give this a try? Um, because I think that um, hearing her, the change in her, the accountability that she had, the trust that she gained, the freedom that she gained, um, and the evolution that took place, really encouraging and hopeful. So anyway, I know that was that and After was you lot. listen to it, you'll see that she was not – a little defiant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, she definitely was more on the end of the spectrum of, oh, she was, this is a very headstrong young woman. And if she uses her powers for self-centeredness, and or as I like to joke around with her, when she used her powers for evil, she could destroy her family. <laughs> she uses her powers for good, and she's the one who's bonded her family. I mean, she's the oldest daughter in the family, the oldest child in the family, and man, her influence on her parents and her and her parents' relationships with the other kids, not just with her, I mean, it's it's really put them on a totally different trajectory than they were on before. And she'll talk about this. It's not like she got herself back on this perfect path that her parents had envisioned. 
you know, we talked about this before in the past, like when we give birth to these children and we start envisioning what their life is going to be like and we see this perfect, like, unicorns and roses and all this happiness and, and X, Y, Z, you know, they just follow the path. That's what, and, and when that doesn't happen, we like mourn this loss of, okay, well, I guess they're not going to do this and this. They're not going to be an Olympic gymnast like I was hoping or, you know, whatever. So, so what is key here is that September hasn't landed on this path that her parents may or may have envisioned for her. September's on her path. But what's happening is that they're together on that path. And um, her mom and dad have had to let go of this idealistic, you know. September had to chose to leave the high school that she was going to. and, And she chose to go to an alternative high school. That probably was not what her parents were hoping for. But it wound up being exactly what September needed. And she learned how to thrive in that. And so And now her parents love that school. They're right. like, that's the best thing that ever happened to my daughter. Right. And You'd so be we, surprised what you love when it works. You know? So hard to be open to alternative pathways. That was one of the things that I that I talked about last last week in our podcast was that there are alternatives. And just because it wasn't what you thought, what you imagined, what you envisioned, doesn't mean that it's any less good or that it will go to any lesser quality of a destination um and i think that listening to hearing both sides of that and and kind of being a fly on the wall of that story is um is very insightful so i want to i want to thank you david for um for having the vision to to kind of get some of these these teenagers to talk and they have a lot to say um, and you know what, it, like, like you guys know, we've talked about this. It's taken me a year to even, and, and it, that's not always even, I, I can't always case in point. Um, it takes some practice and these kids are coming in cold, talking into a microphone, sharing their deepest stuff and, um, fearlessly too. I mean, they're brave. It's, yeah. it's almost like they haven't lived long enough to be that scared. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe so. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if September will listen to this, but major props to her. I love her and I love that family. And, um, to all of you parents who are struggling, scared, worried, afraid, I get it. And loosening the chokehold is the opposite <laughs> of what you want to do. Um, but I believe strongly in what's what we're talking about here and when you get to the other side and you start to create this place of trust um and you can enjoy the relationship it's worth it (coughs) it's worth that scary uncertainty um and this isn't how I was raised part. And um, anyway, so as always, you guys, thank you for listening. And David, thank you for sharing this. I mean, like that's deep 20 years worth of investment <laughs> that you're sharing, that you're putting out there. And 
So that's patented, trademarked, copyrighted, and <laughs> all those other things. Um, it's, Come to the workshops, and we'll be able to give you more of that. We're going to have a lot. Heidi and I were just talking today about we got different variations of very specific workshops coming up in the future. So stay tuned. And thanks to you guys. You guys are our muse, right? You guys Absolutely. are our inspiration. Like Absolutely. You're lis- you guys listening, asking questions, giving comments, coming to our workshops. All of our ideas come straight from your needs. So keep on sharing your needs with us. It, it really is what inspires us. Yeah. A lot of love sent out to 1-800-CONTACTS for um, – Supporting us, believing us, putting their stamp of approval on us. Except for Sherilyn. She doesn't work hard enough. <laughs> hey, oh, she's listening. Ah, that was just a joke. She works very hard. Just want to make sure she's listening. That's all. <laughs> um, and just that last <laughs> final plug, March 21st, September, uh, March 21st, Harriman High School. Come and say hi. All right. I guess that's it for us um, this week. And as always, thanks for helping us to light the fight.